Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Big welcome to all of our mums, and uh, we are glad that you are here. It's so important, I think, that we honour our mums on a day like today. And, uh, you know, one of the things that no matter how, uh, you know, your background or where you came from, uh, we all have one thing in common, is that we all have a mum. And, uh, and you have to, by the way, that's how you got here. And so one of the things that we need is we, we, we do, we all have a mum. And, uh, and I personally am so glad that God gave the absolute privilege of bearing children to the ladies and, and, and to all of them. No, 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 no. I really am. I am just so glad that they have the honor and the privilege of bearing children. I remember when, um, uh, when Sarah told me that, that uh, we were having a, a child and, and, and my first son, Judah, when he was born. And I remember thinking, What's this going to be like, you know, when when this baby is born, and how am I going to handle it? And you know, there's 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 no adequate training to really prepare you for the intensity of that delivery room, okay? And, and so I didn't know how I was going to going to handle it, and so I had a strategy. I don't know if any of you uh, uh, dads had a strategy, but my strategy was going to be that uh, there were two sections. I kind of divided that up into two sections. There was the the manufacturing plant side of things where children would be. Uh, made and delivered and then there was more the office job I'm an office kind of guy so so I thought I'd be in the office and in the office is where all the the love and the support and the encouragement and the uplifting would be fine and I decided that I would stay up that end I just work from the office on that particular day and the manufacturing the doctor can take care of all the manufacturing side and I discovered something after uh, after being in that room for about 30 seconds which is there is no divide there is no office and no manufacturing plant it's one room everything's the factory the entire thing is a manufacturing uh, process and uh, and boy uh, was that an uh, interesting show and I can tell you this right now right on on that day when when we had our first child I, I honestly was so glad uh, you know that that you know our mums and and mothers would go through all of that and I was reminded of one truth which is that if it was up to the men to have children the human race would have died out thousands of years ago there would be there would be no babies right and all of this would be over population depletion everywhere because it is so intense and so I think you know our mums go through so much and that's why it's so great on a day like today we really get to honor them and I want to I want to preach a message to you guys this morning saying I wish I was I wish I was I don't know if you'd be aware but the very first Mother's Day uh, was in 1908, uh, you know, in, in the modern form in which we have it. It's been 1908 by a lady named Anna Jarvis. And Anna uh, was a girl that grew up with a praying mum and she watched her mum just, uh, you know, serve her family so well. And, she, and her mum loved God and honoured God. And she overheard, as the story goes, she overheard her mum saying on one particular uh, day that she want, wished that there was a day day in the future, or just even one day, where just all around the world that mums would be honoured, that we would see the work that they do, that we appreciate the work that they do. And Anna Jarvis grew up to be a person that drove a lot of change in culture and society. And one of the things that she wanted was to see that her mum's prayer would come to fruition. And so, you know, she drove that largely. And as a result of that, now we have this day called Mother's Day, and we celebrate it all around the world. And on this particular day, we, you know, that 
that we give gifts on that day to our mums. How many mums love that they get gifts on, on that day? Special day, one day a year, right? Some of you mums don't have your hands up. That's cool. Your family will be so blessed by that. And, and so anyway, um, you know, that's, that's how we do it now. We give the gifts, you know, from Mother's Day once a year. But it wasn't always like this. In fact, Back in Jesus' day, they did do things just a little bit differently. And uh, back in Jesus' day, they had a, a different arrangement. And I don't know if you know, but they have uh, what we call a Sabbath. It's just a day of total rest. And their Sabbath for, for the Jewish culture and Jewish people, it begins on a Friday night. And uh, so as soon as the sun goes down, that Sabbath kicks in. And so what they do, what you know, the family would uh, all gather together, uh, you know, around the table. Let's imagine the kitchen table or whatever it is, and they, and they gather together. And one of the first things that they do is they light a candle. And when they lit the candle, it was really symbolic of inviting the presence of God into that room, into that, uh, into that household. And I love that. It's so great that God wants to be part of our families and not just watch us you know, from a distance, but to be engaged and involved in it and, and want us to invite Him into our, into our lives and into our families. And so they would light that candle. It was symbolic of, of inviting God's presence presence into that room. And then what would happen is the, the dad, uh, you know, the, the husband, the father would come around and he'd hold the mother of, of his children. And the kids would all be watching this, you know, and, and he'd give her a hug and just hold her, you know, sort of from behind and just hold her. And in that moment, it's actually a beautiful picture just to, you know, for the kids to see that they're Yes, it is good, actually, dads, for your kids to see some affection showed towards your wife if you're married, you know, and, and for the kids to see that. And so, and so that's what they would do. But really, it was symbolic of, of more than that. What they would be saying is, you know what, no matter what's happened this week, no matter the distance that's been between us, no matter the fights and the arguments, I know that doesn't happen in marriages today, but back then it used to happen a bit. And so no matter, no matter the fights or the arguments or anything that we've had, uh, you know, today we're bringing resolution to this. And your mum and I, we stand united and we love each other and, and, and that's what that's about. Isn't that beautiful? And, and, and so they did that. And then you know what they do? They would give a gift to, and sometimes it would just be a token gift, maybe a small gift, you know, and, and just give the mums a gift, you know, and, and and so you thought that you were getting blessed because once a year you got a gift. And, uh, and, and I can tell you this, in, in Jewish culture, they were getting gifts once a week, you know. And, and for some of you, you're like, I love the freedom we have in Jesus, but I'm thinking about converting because that, that would be beautiful to get, a, to get a gift once a week, you know. And so anyway, you know, they'd get that little gift and they'd, you know, show their appreciation. And, and if you think that the gift giving was a really good thing, then wait till you hear what comes next. The dad would come and as he's standing there holding his wife, he'd sing a song. How many, how many, how many mothers and, and wives would just love if their husbands would just fill the kitchen with the sound of their beautiful voice and singing and there we go. We have a, I see one, I see a hand, I see that response, I see that response. And, and, so, and so that's what they would do, you know. And, and so they'd sing on, on the Sabbath and I was singing to myself about this and thinking, you know, you know, the Sunday is, is like our Sabbath. And I started thinking, you know, uh, you know maybe, I, maybe I could sing a song. And so I, I, spoke to, I spoke to my wife and she didn't know what I was, why I was doing this. 
and she, I said, hey, what's your favorite love song, you know? And, and, and my, my wife was like, you know, I don't have one, right? So I started looking. I thought, gosh, what could I sing? What would be a really great love song, you know, to sing to my wife on the Sabbath, you know? And, and so I was looking through and I thought, I have to find a call list somewhere. So where am I going to go? And I, I looked up the Backstreet Boys Greatest Hits and, uh, and thought there's got to there's be something here. And I, and I tell you something, right? I actually considered this as a viable option for this service today. I started to read through all of the songs. And to be honest, most love songs are absolutely horrible. They are useless, you know? Like, I started reading through all the Backstreet Boys lyrics, and it's like, you know, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake, I won't hurt you again, would you please take me back, you know? And I thought, I am not singing these songs to my wife in front of our church, you know, they're going to get the wrong idea. So I decided not to go with the song, and, and, and that's not, because I want you to be blessed, and I want you to come back to church next week. And, and, and so I decided that I'm not going to do that. But they would sing a song to their wives, so their wives would feel loved. And then how about this, ladies? How about this, moms? This was so good, this next part. They would make sure that the mom sat back and didn't do anything. They would prepare this delicious meal. None of the moms had to do any work. They probably made them do it all day Friday up until sunset. But anyway, you know, they would sit back and, and the meal would be prepared for them. And if they had to be any cooking, they'd get in other people to come in and to prepare that meal for their mom. How good would that be? Is there any moms that say, I'm thinking about converting? Oh my gosh, that's so bad, right? So you didn't know what I was going to say when I asked you to put your hand up, but how many moms would love that? You know, it's like once a week, you know, you just sit back and relax. And, and you know, so that's the way that they did it. That's the way that they uh, honored the moms in their culture. And, and so we honor moms in our culture today because they are amazing, right? Do you just, just give me an indication that you agree with that. How many just think our moms are amazing? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, statistically, moms would actually disagree with you. Yeah. No, it's true. Statistically, moms disagree because statistically they're not sure that they're doing a great job. And I just think that there is so much pressure on moms today. There's so much pressure in this culture on, on parents, especially you know, young parents. So much pressure on them. How about this? 62% of mums feel unsatisfied in their work-life balance. Over half feel like they're overcommitted. And the reason that that is a problem is that they feel like they're not being a really great mum by trying to fit so much into their life. And this is the thing that they struggle with, you know. And I, I think it's not just maybe the internal pressure, but I think a lot of this pressure just comes in from social media. You know, like, like you get on, on, on Facebook and you see that some mum that you know um, had a much better day than you because she took her kids to the zoo, you know. And you're looking at the day and you think, oh my gosh, today was such a great opportunity. I wish I had have taken my kids to the zoo. I wish I came up with something fun. Oh my gosh, you know what I let them do? I let them play Xbox for six hours today. And I'm not putting that on Facebook. I'm not putting that on social media. And they just compare themselves to other mums, how they're doing, you know. And whatever that mum did or whatever the other mums do, you do realize, of course, that they are just posting the highlights of their day. Like you do realize that, of course, mums, that when you see a photo, look what we did 
live with. Our kids today, they took a thousand photos. They could only get their kids to smile in two of them. And the lighting was right in one of them. And that's the one that you saw. And so now you're comparing your average uh, life to the ones that these mums are, are living on the highlight reel of motherhood. And you look at it and you think, my gosh, this is an unattainable thing. I just don't think I could do this every day. Well, guess what? Newsflash. No one's doing that every day. It's just not how it works for mums. But there is that pressure that you can feel. I, I remember talking to one mum one time and she said, you know what? She said, I just feel so much pressure out there on social media when I see what other people are doing. And I think, well, I just don't know if I can measure up to the standard, you know? And it's not just the standard or just, you know, how good mums are, are being mums. It's just a lot of judgment that comes across uh, uh, for, for mums about how they're mothering, you know? And, and, and one of the things that I've seen, which is not an issue so much, I, I can even, when I think back 10 years ago, but especially today, there's so much judgment about things like, will you get your kids vaccinated, you know? And, and, and this little thing is, is, has been something that's been very difficult for so many mums because they probably agonize about the decision. Do I do it? Don't I do it? If I do it, what happens if I've made a mistake? Am I ruining my kid's life by getting them vaccinated? And, 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 and what do people say? And what is the research about? What's the latest information and statistics? And, 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 and what will work? And so, so something that, that for me, like 10 years ago, like when Sarah and I just had our first son, Judah, we're like, great, we get him vaccinated, you know, and that's what we did. And it really wasn't even much of a discussion. But today, for whatever reason, it's like there is a huge discussion about it. And there's so much you know, sort of judgment that can come across. Are you going to do it? Are you going to get him? Wow, are you getting him vaccinated? I would never do that, you know, and, and it doesn't even end there. I mean, you know, some mums are stressing out about whether they, they should bottle feed their child or they breastfeed their child. And oh my gosh, like if I bottle feed my child, will they grow up with issues, you know, relation, significant relationship issues because they took milk from a bottle? Is it bottle or breast? We don't know. Like, and, and, and so people are stressing out about this stuff. And I'll tell you something right now. I think it's ridiculous. You know, I, I, I think the pressure that's out there, it just doesn't make sense. I'll give you one more story. I was chatting with a mum, uh, uh, you know, recently, and she had brought some, uh, like a fruit platter for her kids to eat. And another mum saw that she had put out some watermelon on the table. And she said, this, this mum said to, you know, the person I was speaking to, she said, hey, you know what? If you give your kids watermelon, they'll probably get autism. Yeah, from watermelon. Watermelon. And I just think, you know what? There is, she must have found that on Google, you know, like, you know, quick research, five minutes. I think I found a fact, you know, and, 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 and not only that, but I'm going to put it on the internet and then judge people that, that eat watermelon, you know, like, I mean, I just think that we live sometimes in an insane world. And, and I just think that this is not the way that we're supposed to be doing it. Motherhood could be a thankless job and everyone knows that. And you know, I just want to tell moms, I want to tell you something I think is so important for you to hear this next part, okay? It doesn't matter how good that meal was. They were never going to eat it anyway. And they were going to pick it. They were going to pick at it 
all the nutrition that you thought would be benefiting your kids, you found on the side of their plate, sometimes under their plate, sometimes on their lap, always at our house on the floor. And, and, and so, you, you know, like they were never going to eat it anyway. They don't appreciate the effort and the energy that you put into that meal. And it's just the way that it is. Why? Because motherhood can be a thankless job and you could just feel the pressure of it. Anyway, I don't think that's the way that you're supposed to feel. But sometimes you see these small little human beings and you think, how am I supposed to get these small little, sometimes dysfunctional people, humans, right? I'm supposed to get them from where they are all the way into some mature adult that loves God and raises their family and prays and makes all the right decisions. And that from stage one, all the way through to that next stage, right? That can feel like a lot of pressure. Some of you have adult children, and you've raised them and you still feel the same way. You start to look, maybe you're not looking forwards and saying, oh, I hope I make the right decisions. You know, sometimes you've looked back and you say, I hope I did make the right decisions. You know, and you, you can look at the decisions that maybe some of your kids are making now as adults and think, gosh, I hope I was enough. I wish I was enough for them. I hope I was more. And you just feel that, pressure that can rest upon you. I wish there was a manual that would teach me how to do every little thing. I wish there was a manual that told me how I'm supposed to respond. People have written a lot of books, right? But there's no thing that's written uniquely for every single season and stage of your life. Sometimes you think, I just, I just wish I could do this really well. No one prepared you for all the challenges that would come. You, you thought that, you know, when you began to be a parent, you thought, I know what we'll do. You know, so we're going to have some quality time at night, you know, sitting down. We'll just put the kids in bed. We'll put them in bed at seven. Then from seven to 10, we'll just relax. That's what you thought, right? But you were wrong because at about 10 past seven, you know what happened? Your kids came out and they said, dad or mom, my hair hurts. My toe feels funny, right? And, and, and I've just been thinking about school next year. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I want to talk to you about it now. And by the way, how does the universe work? And I just felt like this would be a great moment. I'm not sure I had enough to eat right now. This, this is what you signed up for and you weren't prepared for it and you weren't ready for it. And someone told you somewhere at some point that the Bible has all the answers you'll ever need. And you thought, man, there's got to be a great example about how to be a mum in this book. Well, there is. And I would encourage you not to read it. <laughs> Unless you are having the best day ever and you did get your kids in bed and they did not get up and you just feel like you're nailing it. Now, if you feel like you're doing an outstanding job as a parent, by all means, go ahead and read this passage. But if you uh, feel like, I'm not sure if I'm doing a good job, then don't read it. The passage comes out of Proverbs chapter 31. I'll tell you something right now. This is the most amazing woman that has never existed, right? Like she is the CEO of a multinational corporation that is not just doing everything that you read, right? She's making meals and her kids love them and they stay in bed and they don't get up, right? And you read this and you think this is unobtainable. Like, what is the measure? So unless you feel like you are absolutely kicking butt, right? Don't read that passage, right? Because the standards sometimes, it just feels like it's so high. And when it does, you could just feel the pressure. And I just wondered if there was any mums that were here today that thought, I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope the energy and the effort that I'm putting in, I hope this is enough to steer them in the right direction. I, I, I hope that I'm 
being sufficient in all the things that I do. I hope I'm juggling everything well. I hope they know that I love them. I wish I was a better parent. I wish I was more. So I wanted to preach on that today because I think there are some things that we can absolutely do, some things that mums can do. I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of 2 Timothy. It begins in chapter 1 and verse 5, and it says this. This is Paul the Apostle. And he's writing this letter to his son in the faith, who's a guy named Timothy. That's why we call the book Timothy. And Timothy is right now pastoring one of the most significant churches, the most significant church at its time. And he writes this letter to his spiritual son. And he says this, Tim, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. That's a name that we should bring back. That could be 2020. We don't see enough Eunices, you know. And It dwelled in your grandmother, Lois. It dwelt in your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Started with the grandmother, was passed to the mother, and now it's suddenly deposited in Timothy, it says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I think that faith is the foundation for future growth. Faith is the foundation for future growth. There are things that your kids are going to do as they grow up. There are things that uh, you want to see them walk in. And if at all possible, if you can, Laying a foundation of faith is one of the best things I think you can do. I remember um, as a child growing up in my house that one of the things that we would do at breakfast time is that we'd sit down and my dad would read this one scripture over and over again. It was etched into my brain. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And the version that I read today says self-control. But as far as I'm concerned, it's sound mind because that's the foundation that was laid. I heard that scripture every day. And I'll tell you something right now. There are sometimes things that can give me a scare or maybe things that are fright, can give me a fright. But I don't carry a spirit of fear. And there's been so many times in my life where things that could be scary have come up, but it's the spirit that I don't choose to carry. And one of the reasons why is because I just had a, a, a dad that can, continued to say to me, you know, hey, don't carry a spirit of fear, uh, but of power and love and, and, and a sound mind. That's the spirit you carry and things come up, but I'm able to deal with it oftentimes because I just reflect on that scripture. And you know, when I, when I read this scripture, I think, wow, you see this Faith being passed from one generation to another. Now, I had a dad that read that scripture out to me. But one of the things that, that stood out to me about this passage is that Tim's dad is not in the picture. Do you notice that? That the faith started with the grandmother and it moved to the mother and then it moved to the son. And you won't see it in the passage that I read today. But if you read other scriptures, you'll see that Tim's dad was not a believer. And so he was never going to get a foundation of faith from his dad. No, no, no. The foundation that he got was one that came from his praying grandmother. It was one that was passed from a praying grandmother to a praying mother. And then it was deposited in him and the faith continued to move from one generation to the next. Can I tell you something right now? Grandmas and mothers, your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. 
The Bible says the prayers of the righteous availeth much. In other words, they overcome a lot, you know. And I tell you what, if you're new to church today, you don't often go to church. When I say the prayers of the righteous, we're not looking around at each other this morning and saying, wow, we're so righteous. No, 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 no. You've got to understand something about Christian people is that all of our righteousness comes from God. And so any, everything that makes us good is Jesus, you know. And because He was so good, some of that is on us. And that's what we, that's what we pray and, and that's what we believe. And so... That righteousness rests on us, which makes our prayers powerful and effective. Did you notice that it said, fan into flame the gift that was in you, given at the, by the laying on of hands? Because gifts can grow, but they need to grow in something. You take a seed of anything. If you don't plant it in something, it's not going to grow. So if it's going to be planted, it needs to be planted in the foundation of faith. And that is something that children so often get from their mums and their grandmums. And right now we're reading a story about this guy, Timothy, who was pastoring the largest church on the planet. Why? Not because his dad was in the picture. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they were divorced. He was there. But there was no faith deposit from the father into the son. All that stuff came from praying grandmas and praying mums that continued to deposit that faith as a foundation for Tim's future. Mums, you've got huge influence. Just huge influence. In fact, Abraham Lincoln, he said this, my mother's prayers clung to me my whole life. And so sometimes you, you, you say a prayer and you've said it and it's out and it's done, but it still, it still clings to the person. You know, that prayer, it stuck to him. He remembered the prayers of his mom. And, and Abraham Lincoln went on to become one of the most influential people in our, in our history because of the role that he played. You know, if, if you have adult kids in here this morning, can I tell you this, right? Your prayers are just as powerful now as they were when you prayed over small children. See, I think just because you have grown up children doesn't mean that you pray for them any less. It doesn't mean that your prayers are any less effective. You know, oftentimes we look at adult kids and we say they're making their own choices now, but that's just the future of all small children too. And so we start to pray over them. Why? Because prayers are powerful and effective no matter how old they are. Now, here is something that is astonishing. Every world-changing human was born by a mum. It's actually not that astonishing, is it? Everyone's got one. Everyone's got a mum and every great world-changer has one. And so when I, when I think about that, it makes me think, mums, you've got outstanding opportunity outstanding opportunity to do something with your children that's going to impact the world in such a positive way. And so if you were going to do anything, you know what I'd say? I'd say, you've got to start praying. And many of you are probably already doing that. But maybe you thought, my kids have made their decisions. They've grown up. They've, they've moved on with life. They're okay, making their own decisions. No, no, no. Let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. If, if you are a mother of small children, begin in this season. Right now, there's, there's no time like today. There's no time like right now to start to lay a foundation of faith. And the reason why you do that is when you pray, your parenting becomes a partnership. You get what I'm saying? Because a lot of a lot of if you're a mother and you're still married and, and you have a husband that supports you, yeah, great. There's a there's a partnership there. I, I believe that, right? But I'm saying when you start to pray, you start to partner with God, and that's what you need for your kids, no matter how old they are. When you pray, your parenting becomes a partnership. I want to read one more scripture to you this morning. This comes out of 1 Kings. You won't have it up there because I just wanted you to listen to this. 
And this scripture comes out of 1 Kings chapter 17 and in verse 8. It says, The word of the Lord came to him, which was Elijah. At this very moment in history, there is a severe famine and, and drought. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. The widow has been commanded to feed the prophet that's coming, but they're in the middle of a famine. And so she doesn't have much. How many of us know sometimes God asks us to do things that would make us really uncomfortable? I want you to feed the prophet. I know you don't have a lot, but what you've got, I want you to feed the prophet. It says in verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering six. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little vessel, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's her last meal. And, you know, I don't think she's being dramatic. I think she's being honest. She's a single mum in a bad situation and she doesn't have much for her son. And Elijah says to her, only a prophet could get away with this. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. Now, if you're going to die, you can go ahead and die. But uh, before you do that, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make a little something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. I want to tell you two things about this passage that are important for you today. Number one, God sees your predicament. God sees your predicament. I wonder how many prayers that widow prayed in the middle of a famine, just wondering if God was going to answer. And the answer that he gave is, I'm sending a prophet when he gets there, would you feed him? God sees your predicament. He knows the situation that you're in, but he also knows how to handle it because there's no situation on planet earth that's outside of God's control. And so here's the interesting part about that story. She says, God, I need help now. So at some point, God speaks to the prophet Elijah and says, I want you to go and meet this widow. I want you to go. She's going to feed you. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. So Elijah says, that's fine, but I'm not next door. So this is going to take me a while. So he's making his journey. And the whole time he's making his journey, she's probably thinking, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. God has not answered me. He said that he would send a prophet, but he's not here yet. Meanwhile, the prophet is coming. What does that mean? It means that the answer is on its way. Sometimes the answer is on its way and you don't know yet, but the answer is waiting for the exact right moment at the right time. And you say, you know, so often I think that God has bad timing too, but he knows exactly what he's doing. And so the prophet arrives at what time? Well, we know what time it was. Because she says, at this exact moment, all I've got left is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in a jug. 
See, I think that God spoke to Elijah at the exact right moment, knowing how long the journey would take. So at the exact right moment, when the prophet gets to her, all she's got left is enough for one more meal. And she has to decide at that very moment, am I going to try to save myself and do this in my own strength? Or am I going to form a partnership with God and be obedient to what He said and feed the prophet and then start to have the grace of God come into my life? She has to make a decision, but she's already so, she's so low. She's so far beyond her capacity to control the situation. And she even says it to the prophet. She goes, don't you understand? I'm making my last meal now. I've got nothing. I wonder how many moms feel like that. I've got nothing. This is all I have. I've got nothing left. I am spent. I've prayed. I haven't seen answers. This is it for me. I'm done. And God says, feed the prophet Elijah. Elijah comes. What happens? She begins to feed him and then the answer comes. I think that the answer came because she showed in that last moment that she was going to be faithful with everything that God spoke to her. Number one, I want you to understand that God sees your predicament. Number two, you might not feel like you have enough. Gosh, even if you're married and your marriage is healthy and life is bliss, even then, sometimes you don't feel like you've got enough. I don't have enough energy. I have a diminished capacity right now because I'm feeling pressure from all other angles. Uh, I'm a single mom and I think if I was married, I could do this. But now I've suddenly found myself in a situation I didn't think I'd be in and I don't know if I've got enough. I don't think I, I don't know if this is enough for my situation. Sometimes people are going to be single. I'm not sure if I am enough. I, I, I don't know if I have enough time. I'm time poor, you know. I, I'm time poor because I'm, I'm managing multiple responsibilities. And one of the things that we see in our culture today is a lot of moms are working. You know, sometimes moms compare themselves to their moms. But a lot of the time, if you look back a couple of generations, not all their moms are working full time. And so today you're like, well, how am I supposed to make this work? Because I need to work to put food on the table. But if I work, I feel like maybe I'm not looking after my kids. I'm not sure if I've got enough time. Some people aren't time poor. They're just poor. I don't know if I've got enough money to invest into my kids. What happens? I can't afford to send them to a a, a private school. I can't afford to send them. I, I don't even know if I can fill their lunchbox. I'm just poor. Like, what am I supposed to do in my predicament? It's easy for people to feel like that way. It's easy for mums to feel that way. And this is what God says. He says, you know, I'm enough for you. I'm enough for you. I don't know if I can make it. It's okay. I am more than enough. I have enough grace in me to handle your circumstance and your situation. So have some, have some peace in your heart. It's, you know, something It's going to be okay. And maybe it doesn't feel like it now. Maybe the answer is on its way. And right now you're thinking, I'm not sure, but I'm telling you right now, he says I have more than enough grace. You know, know, the overarching story of the Bible is about God's grace. You know, if you forget about motherhood for just a minute, right? If we were just talking as humans here this morning, none of us are enough. Not one of us. None of us are good enough to earn our way into God's good books. None of us are good enough to do, to do everything. None of us are good enough to get into heaven. And the overarching emphasis of the Bible will be, guess what, newsflash, you never will be. And that's okay too, because God's got you covered. That's what the gospel is all about. For people that thought, we don't have a chance. He said, yeah, you do, because I'm going to come for you. I'm going to put my son on the cross and he's going to die and pay the penalty for your sins. And yeah, you're not good enough and it's okay. You don't have to be because I am. He's got more than enough grace. There is more than enough to handle your circumstance. Some of you are looking for balance. It's not coming. 
I can't overpromise today. You want balance in your life. Like maybe if just everything worked out, I, I just need to aim for balance. Well, your season doesn't lend itself to balance. Because if you keep doing the bare minimum of what you have to do, it's going to be unbalanced. It's a season. What are you going to do about that? That's a tough season to be in. God says, it's okay. Start to pray for my grace. Because my grace is more than sufficient for your circumstance. My grace is more than sufficient for for what you're going through right now. And just like the widow, she said, no, you don't understand. I'm at the end. He says, you're not there yet. I know where you are. You're not there yet. And I promise you, I can work this situation out. See, sometimes pressure is just preparation. And I wonder if you're in a season right now where you have immense pressure, especially moms. Moms, if you've got immense pressure, you don't know how you're going to do it. Your kids are watching how you handle that pressure. And don't feel the pressure of that either. But I'm saying that there is a preparation in this for you somewhere. I don't know what God is going to do with your kids. But as I look back through history, I see people like Abraham Lincoln and Anna Jarvis who watched the prayers of their parents. And then they brought change into their culture and their generation. What is it? Maybe it is that God will allow you to go through something that your kids see you struggle with it or feel the pressure of so that when they get to the future, they can change it and make it better than it was in your lifetime. Pressure is often just preparation. I wonder what God is getting your family ready for. And you're like, well, that's great, but I still got to get this little human from here to there. What am I supposed to do today? Are you ready for this? It's so easy. Just keep loving them. Oh, you want to talk about a foundation? Keep loving them. See, no one, no one can can bring love into a kid's life like their parents, and I'm including step parents. And you know, no one can love like that. You know, you just when you you love your kids, you know, you keep loving, keep praying, keep praying, so that in this season, while they're with you, in the future, when then, when you're not with them, that they've got that foundation, that prayer. That, pay, that, that faith that was in Lois and then Eunice and then made its way all the way to Timothy. See, you gotta, you got to start to pray if you're not praying right now. Maybe some of you are, but if you're not, you got to do this because when you do, you start to let your parenting become a partnership with God. And this is what I've understood to be true. No matter what you do, you can't be with your kids all the time. No matter what you do, they're going to go to school. They're going to grow up. They're going to make decisions. They're going to move out of home. They're going to, you know, meet a future partner. Like, you're not going to be able to be with them all the time, but God can. And I already understand this as a parent. I, I get up in the morning and I pray. And what do I pray? I pray for my wife. I say, God, just, you know, be with Sarah today and heal her body and do everything that you need to do with her. And then I, and I pray for my kids and I say, God, I'm not going to be with my kids today because I've got to go to work just practically, but... I know that you'll be with them. And I pray, God, that they would love you today, that you'd reveal more of who you are to them. Lord, I pray for kids that are hungry for you. I pray for kids that are passionate for you. I pray, God, that the Spirit has so much influence in their life that when everyone at school or university or in their workplace, whatever it may be in the future, God, I pray that if they all head in the wrong direction, if everyone was heading away from you, I pray that they'd have the presence of mind and the courage and the boldness of faith to say, I'm not going that way because I'm going to stay with my God. I pray that prayer for them. I pray every day, knowing in the future that they're going to have decisions that they need to make. It just honestly, it rolls off the tongue because this is my prayer life. Every single day, God, watch over them. Because see, sometimes your kids are far from you, but God is never far from your kids. And so you say, God, I want your help on this. I want to partner with you in this. I want to pray that they move from 
wherever they are into the space that you've got for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.